Our scripture text is again James chapter 2, beginning of verse 14 through 20. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm, be filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. In our beginning study of this passage, we devoted our meditation to knowing more and understanding more about this blessed relationship of faith and trust that we share with the Lord Jesus. And while the depth of meaning of that relationship is far beyond our natural ability to grasp it, I'm confident, folks, that each time you and I reach to God for more understanding, as our loving Father, He will gladly give it to you and me. And so we're going to do that today. And as we begin, may we remind ourselves of a truth that we accepted in our earlier study of these words, that God himself, listen, God himself really is the only one who is able to give us biblical faith, true biblical faith. Biblical faith cannot come into our souls by any other means. And I want to emphasize that. Biblical faith cannot come into our souls by any other means except as a gift from God. And nor are we able, as some would want to believe, to summons it up from within our own souls through some personal effort. And I confess, I've tried to do that many times, many times in my life. But I have to remind myself that that's not the faith that God wants me to have. He wants us to have the faith that He will supply to us. And I do grieve. I do grieve for so many of our brethren who believe so strongly that their faith is something that they themselves, by their own efforts, must develop and also maintain. And they suffer unnecessarily with the misunderstanding that if only their faith could be stronger, their hopes and their prayers would be answered differently. And yes, their beliefs are close to being the truth. It is so very close to being the truth, but yet it is so far, far away. And it leaves those dear folks guilt-ridden and blaming themselves for unfulfilled hopes and unanswered prayers saying, oh, if I'd have just prayed harder, if I'd have just believed a little bit stronger, my friend would not have died from cancer. But folks, listen, faith does not come to us by the strength of our own efforts. No matter how hard we might try, faith, and that's real biblical faith, can come to us only as a gift from our loving Heavenly Father. I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to read those words and remind us, remind ourselves of what God really says about how we obtain this faith. 
This is Ephesians chapter 2, and there are verses that you have read and quoted often. These familiar words, listen. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, not your own works. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the truth about faith. Now, too often, so many of our Christian brethren misunderstand these words and they don't seem to be able to grasp their full meaning. Let me look at verse 8 again closely. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now in these words, listen, the direct antecedent to this word gift is the word faith. In other words, the word gift refers specifically to the word faith, meaning that our salvation comes to us by God's grace through His gift of faith. And these words, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. They're so very clear. This is not your own doing. You can't blame yourself later if it doesn't work. God just has a different plan. You can't blame your faith or your lack of it. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. In other words, no matter how much we might try to summons up enough faith from within our own souls, it cannot come to us in that way. It is ever and always a gift from God. It's one of those special gifts that spoken about here in the first chapter of James. On verse 16, listen to this. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In those words, God is warning us to not deceive ourselves into thinking that we personally are able to do all those things that we would like to do. There are some things that must come from Him and from Him alone, and such as this wonderful gift of faith. And also, may we remember that this gift of faith is not a one-time gift. It is one of those gifts that ever flows and even increases as the Holy Spirit abides continually within our spirit and as we trust more and more in the Lord. Folks, this is so very important for us to know and to remember. The blessed Holy Spirit really is an ever-flowing wellspring of so many, many treasures that God showers upon those who love Him. Those words, precious words, are spoken to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to these words, precious promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Aren't those precious and wonderful words of promise? Folks, listen. We need to clearly understand from these scriptures, such as the ones we're reading, that it is not only faith itself that comes as a gift from God. It's also all of those many other blessings that then flow out from our faith. Recall some verses in the Gospels where Jesus would say to someone that he was working a miracle with, he would say, be it according to your faith. Now from that we might misunderstand and think, oh, we have to churn up enough faith and then we'll 
the miracle will take place. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I will give you the faith, but be it according to your faith. In Christ, folks, listen, we are now adopted sons of God. We're part of his family, this royal family. And we're able to share in all these many benefits of being a true child of the king. And praise be to God for that. But listen, with that being said, one of the things that often confuses us is that although our faith and the things we receive from our faith are all gifts from God, you and I still do have a part that you and I must play in this matter of faith. Mysteriously, and he speaks of it here in these scriptures that we just read, as it concerns other people that we encounter, it is you and I who are the means by which God pours out gifts to them, that their faith works. And you and I must be diligent in our efforts to do those good works. But again, as our efforts work themselves out in these daily activities of our life, we can sometimes get confused as to exactly who is doing them. Is it our faith? Was it our doing? Or was it God? Why am I giving this strong emphasis here today? It's because in recent days, my wife and I have had opportunity to view a documentary movie on the Word of Faith movement. And the movie is called American Gospel, Christ Alone. And if you haven't seen that documentary, I recommend it to you. It's a documentary film that's a critique of the prosperity gospel movement that has been sweeping across America for three or four decades now, perhaps more, but also into all the other world, and especially into those poverty-stricken third world countries. Featured prominently in that documentary are leaders and organizations such as Bill Johnson of the Bethel Church, huge, huge church out in California. Joel Oldstein, huge church. Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, and there's many others. As part of their doctrine, the leaders of the Word of Faith movement declare that through faith, and listen carefully, because it is contrary to what we have been reading and studying about faith. They declare within that movement that through faith, their members are fully able to do as God the Father did in the beginning and listen and use their words of faith. That's where they get their name. Use their words of faith to speak things of health and prosperity into existence. Much of their doctrine is clearly heretical and it's found nowhere in the scriptures. But near the top of the list of their heresies is the proclamation that each person's faith has its own power and is able to gain them personal health and prosperity. That all they have to do is believe it and speak it and it will come into being in their lives, in their homes, and in their families. I watched a specific Joel Olstein sermon say those very things. Folks, on the basis of this belief is a heresy that's beyond all heresies. It is the belief that as children of God, and listen carefully, as children of God, we ourselves become gods. Kenneth Copeland, very strong in his preaching of that. Several of the, these top purveyors of this heresy say that we become little gods. And as little gods, we're able to do what God the Father did in the beginning and speak these things that we desire into being. That is a clear and unmitigated heresy. 
And may I say that if you are ever drawn into believing such preaching and teaching, please do flee, flee from it, immediately from it. And as we just read a moment ago, we can easily be deceived by the power of our own desires, deceived into believing that perhaps this is true. But listen, folks, you and I are ever and always simply children of this earth. From dust we came and to dust we'll go. Yes, in Christ our spirits are eternally saved. And yes, in eternity we will also even have a new and eternal body. But we will never be gods. We will never be gods. The deity of God is reserved only for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And praise be to God for that truth. Because folks, listen, you and I would not make very good gods. We are too self-centered and we're too self-seeking. Now again, may I bring us back to the biblical understanding about faith. And that is that while yes, you and I really will enjoy great blessings that come from our faith, and we will. The blessings we receive, though, will mostly only be secondary to the real intended recipients of the benefits of our faith. And that is God himself, other people. The intended recipients of our faith will be God himself and other people. Our scripture text today asks the question, what does it profit us if we have faith? And then it says, it goes on to imply, even if we ourselves receive great blessings from it, but our neighbor receives no benefit at all from our faith, what is the profit? The clear message there in those words is that if we through our faith receive great blessings, but refuse to let that precious grace of God flow on out from us into the hearts and into the lives of other people, then our faith is useless. Our faith is dead. And again, this clear teaching from God is contrary to the prosperity gospel teachers. Why is that so? How is that so? All that I have observed, not just in this movie, but in all that I've known about them for all these decades now, their main focus is ultimately upon themselves. The lure is to them as individuals, being able to obtain personal gain. Here in these words of our scripture text says to us, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, I'm sure that the Word of Faith members would insist that they also focus their faith on the needs of other people. And I know that to be personally true. I believe it takes place often with most of them, and especially in the matters of health and physical and emotional suffering. But folks, in most all that I have learned over these years about this prosperity gospel, too often, too often the real focus of both the preachers and the congregants is ultimately, ultimately upon their own welfare and their own personal needs. And while I hesitate to suggest this, folks, if you're confident that you have the spiritual strength to be able to resist the lure of all of this, I would encourage you to listen to some of the ordinary weekly teaching and preaching 
of these leaders. Bill Johnson, Joel Oldstein, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Todd White, Stephen Furtick, Jesse Duplantis. Have you heard some of those names? The older ones are dying off. Kenneth Copeland's getting well up there in age, but young ones are coming along that are even more committed to these heresies than the previous generation. Todd White. Todd White is a young man that preaches this heresy about you being a little God. Stephen Furtick, so charismatic, young man. The young are coming along to fill the gap as the older ones pass on. Now may I say again, this heretical doctrine that's being preached by these men is also being exported into other countries, and especially into some of the poorest of nations, under the guise of taking the gospel to the nations. And by the way, I have personally listened to, over the years, listened to some of the commercials by Creflo Dollar, was trying to raise $96 million for a jet airplane. Jesse Duplantis was asking for $75 million for, I think it was $75 million for a new, pla uh, new plane. Kenneth Copeland has a fleet of jet planes and a whole airport, his own. And so they export this heresy into all of these other nations through the guise of taking the gospel to the nations and calling it missionary efforts. They're taking this message to the poorest of the poor. That is where their wealth is coming from, the poorest of the poor. And then in those other nations, there are also people just like them. Today, you can look this up on your computer. The man that is known as the wealthiest preacher in the world, he has a megachurch in Nigeria. His name is Bishop David Oyedepo. He's known to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Folks, the prosperity gospel makes leaders very, very prosperous. But folks, the heretical teaching is not only taking place in the big cities and in those foreign countries. It's taking place right here in rural Mississippi, in neighborhood churches, just on a smaller basis. But they use the same tactics as these more well-known preachers. In most every situation, the people are being told that they must first give. They have to plant a seed. And then God will give them back a hundredfold what they have given. Bless them by pouring out blessings upon them. Unfortunately, and if you look around it, our neighborhoods, you'll see that that pouring out goes into the pockets of the church leaders. As I drive around 220 in Jackson, there's a church just at the north edge of 220. Next time you drive by it, look over at it, you'll see a stretch limo that is about as long as this sanctuary. They have good reasons for doing that in their mind. I fail to understand their reasoning. Now, lest I continue with this, with these words and allow my preaching to deteriorate into an ungodly rant, I'd like to return to our scripture and to God's true intention for our faith. And it's this. God's true intention, listen, God's true intention for your and my faith is that it be the means 
by which we receive his blessed salvation, first of all, from the Lord Jesus. And from there, then, our faith is to become the means through which we enjoy an ongoing and eternal personal relationship with Christ. And then from there, that the outworking of our faith would be for the glory of God and for the benefit of the people that he calls the body of Christ. And then on out into others, the poor, that need our help. And while, yes, you and I will receive many personal blessings ourselves as we work out our faith, the intended beneficiaries of our faith is God himself and then the people around us that God calls our neighbors. And he wants our faith to be worked out in the ordinary circumstances of our daily life. Let me read this again. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm, be filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed by the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now note again, that these good works are focused on meeting the needs of other people. Other people. And, and while it can be assumed from these words that the givers of these necessities to the ones who have less than them, that they might be wealthy. But that's not true. That's not so. The, the clothing that they may share with their neighbor may be the only clothes that they have. I had a preacher do that one time. He was a missionary on furlough and he was preaching at our church and one of our church members bought him a suit and he looked so good in that suit the next week he showed up in just the coat with a shirt and tie and someone asked him where was his coat it was all i gave it to somebody needed it more than i needed it they may have you may have only the clothes that you have to share but we need to share we may have only the food that we have but we can share a portion with someone else, and that's what God is saying here. Sometimes another thing takes place with us that I want to speak about, and that is we may have plenty, but we have a kind of personality, a manner of thinking that thinks ourselves to be poor when we're not really. And that can interfere with our willingness to be a cheerful giver. And so simply put, doing these good works that God expects from you and me will often interfere with our personal comfort and our own provision. And then also added to that, we may often be asked to engage with people that are not easy to love and not easy to help, causing us to have even more doubts about what we're doing. But part of the unspoken message of these words is that during those uncertain times of questioning, you and I need to remind ourselves that these circumstances of life are really not about you and me. It's not about you and me. It's not about our health. It's not about our wealth, our own financial position, our own needs. And really, it's really not about that person who is poor and in need. It really is ever and always first about Christ and about His ministry and about what he is carrying forward on this earth. And you and I are simply the means by which Christ carries forward his grace and his mercy and his plans, his purposes. And when our struggles get difficult, 
when our faith begins to falter, the source of new strength to enable us to get up and, and get going again will come the way it originally came. And that is through Christ himself. It'll come as a gift from him, new strength. It'll be only as we draw back nearer to him that he'll enable us to take the next steps forward. And though I know that I'm repeating myself, may I just say again, that all this that's being spoken about here in these words regarding faith and about works is far, far bigger than just you and me. And it's bigger than a brother or a sister that's in need. Its real purpose extends all the way to the heavens to bring glory to God. May I close with these words. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And from Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray.